want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, play hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kolzik and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Oh, well, you know, it's people at home may not know this, but I'm in school right now and uh, I'm studying what's called technical writing. If you want to know what that is, you can look it up. It's really, really boring to try and explain and mostly it's really boring to try and do. But uh, school is trying to kill me this week, so it's a miracle that I've seen anything. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of... Uh... There's a lot of really interesting, at least uh, dramas, some other really interesting shows this week as well. One of the most interesting shows uh, for that we watched this week, we're not actually going to talk about all that much because we're saving it for a future DVD shelf. Uh, and that's Over the Garden Wall. Did you watch it this week or what? did you watch it the week before? I watched it this week and then I told you that I'm, I'm pretty sure I was about five minutes or maybe 11 minutes in when I messaged you to be like, you need to watch this immediately. Yeah. And I was right, because I'm always right. I seem to recall getting, because we were catching up. Our DVD shelf segment this week is with the fabulous Ryan McGee from Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan and the Not Ready for Primetime podcast and so many other things. And he came on to talk with us about Freshman Comedies of 2014. And so we are catching on up on different shows for that, the shows that might be eligible or like, be part of that conversation so you watched caught up with the show like this week specifically for that i think was the idea and i was in the, watching bojack horseman and i believe i was about a, an episode or two in when i get a message from you saying that you were starting it and then about 10 minutes later saying yeah i'm not getting up until this is done uh and i w immediately regretted having started bojack horseman before over the garden wall uh, even though I did like BoJack Horseman. But Over the Garden Wall is amazing, and y'all need to watch it. Yeah, it's only about 110 minutes of your time. And uh, when we say, by the way, future DVD shelf, you're not going to have to wait very long, is all we're going to say. Yeah, we're, we're, we're lining that up. Uh, we, we heard from some of you guys about Over the Garden Wall as well. And uh, let's see, Eric says, uh, I was only going to check out Over the Garden Wall, and I ended up watching the whole thing, just beautiful. Brian says, it's like Steamboat Willie meets Miyazaki, really hoping for a season two. I believe that's not the plan. I think it's just a one-and-done miniseries. That is the impression I'm under. But that's also what we thought about Top of the Lake, so you never know. You do never know. Uh, yeah, and Brian says, hashtag potatoes and molasses forever. And those who have watched Over the Garden Wall will get that. So far, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people that uh, have seen Over the Garden Wall. I'm not seeing a lot of buzz about it. And um, I'm a little, actually a little disappointed to not be seeing more conversation about it. But the people who have seen it seem to love it because uh, when I threw out that I was really enjoying it, I, I heard from about three or four different people um, almost immediately. And all of us were really on the same page about this series. And I could go on and on and on about some of the different stuff. And I'm sure we will. And hopefully soon. But uh, I wanted to mention that up at the top because just because we're not talking about it this week doesn't mean that we didn't watch it and that it isn't awesome and that y'all shouldn't watch it so you can 
you know, enjoy our conversation all the more when we do get to DVD shelf it. Yeah. All I'm going to say for now is that I don't know of anyone who watched it and what and was just like, meh, or like, meh, it was cute, but it wasn't for me. Like, everyone is super into it that I know of who's yeah. seen it. And for those who haven't seen Over the Garden Wall yet, I'm, I'm going to normally the music between sections of the podcast is from a show within that section that's coming up this week. Uh, there's going to be some Over the Garden Wall thrown in as well. So hopefully that'll get some of y'all to, to watch and tune in a bit. But uh, other things we talked heard about from you guys this week. We our question of the week last week. Simon, do you want to refresh memories as to what it was? Uh, I believe it was based on Sorkin's retirement from TV, and uh, as a result, if we're if we, if we must lose Sorkin, uh, who would we like to gain? Well, Brian says I'd love Charlie Kaufman, Jun Ho Bong, David Cronenberg, and or David Mamet. Uh, Carl says I would watch the hell out of a weekly Wes Anderson show and Andromedy. Uh, I would also say David Fincher, but he did House of Cards and is doing BBC uh, uh, Utopia remake on HBO. Uh, Augustine says, this is maybe my own twisted nature getting the best of me, but I'd kind of like to see Joe Esterhaus make a comeback in some form, so why not give him a television project? Besides with Sorkin leaving TV, we need someone to be the new poster boy for misogyny in television. I have to say, Joe Esterhaus is an inspired choice. Uh, I, I think he, I mean, yeah, I, that, that name came out of nowhere. As far as I know, he hasn't even written a film in like 15 years or something, but yeah, I... I'd be curious to see what that would produce. And for those for whom that name does not ring a bell, uh, he was the writer of Basic Instinct and uh, Showgirls. So I've not seen either of those. And and I believe Jade and some other uh, <laughs> select mid-90s gems. He was one of the highest paid screenwriters of, of all time for quite a while. Uh, fascinating career. Showgirls is a great movie. I'm not even... I'm not exaggerating. I, I'm, I'm being totally earnest right now. <laughs> I heard from uh, Brian about Kingdom. We were asking about the fight in the last the previous episode. And Brian says the submission Jay pulls off is a leg triangle. It's a, quote, blood choke. And it was pretty accurately portrayed. Some of the gym, gym attendants indicate the level of realism thereafter. The photographer was MMA personality Nick the Tooth. So there you go. Huh. Yeah. And All right. Grove Street Girl uh says is apparently another podcast listener and kingdom watcher so and she says she's loving it so far so that's three it's brian grocery gal and Kriggs. and hopefully somebody else out there is giving it a shot after uh, everything we've been saying i just need to start live tweeting it and mentioning nick jonas a lot and then start getting the teen girls to start following me (laughs) that'll work Oh, that would be hilarious. Uh, let me know if you start doing that. So that, so that in case, you know, I, I'm not live tweeting, I can mute you. But then when I can unmute you and go back and read the tweets, it would be hilarious. <laughs> hilarious. Keith says about uh, Jane the Virgin, a bunch of us were talking about Jane the Virgin this week. Uh, I keep hearing how great that is, but still have yet to watch the pilot. Keith. 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 Come on, Keith. What do we need to tell you to get you to watch the Jane the Virgin pilot? I, I, again, it's it's one of those shows you just there's no explaining it. There is only watching it. Yeah, uh, I'll have you know, Simon. I was telling my my dad that he should watch Jane the Virgin. He was not interested in the fact that I said it was the best new show. Uh, but the fact that you said you agreed that it was the best new show is what got him to watch it, and he loves it. Really? Yes. Wow. So he he needed was it just that he needed male validation? No, I think he just doesn't trust me. I uh, think he thinks I think he thinks I like artsy stuff or, you know, girly stuff or I have no idea. I don't, I don't I'm like, I'm the one who was like you should watch Spartacus, but apparently 
uh, doesn't get, have the right cred. But the the what the point that matters, the thing that matters here is that both my mom and my dad did. I did get them to sit down and watch it, and they watched three episodes in a row. I believe they are watching the next three uh, tonight or tomorrow, so they can be caught up. Uh, they love it. So Keith. Get off your butt and watch some Jane the Virgin. It's not available on demand anymore, as I learned this weekend, but it is up on Hulu. And we're literally, like, I'm I'm annoyed right now because recording this podcast is cutting into my watching the next episode time. So let's get into this. Yeah, let's get into this. Um, the last thing I have here is that uh, it's going to be, I'll try to go through it pretty quickly. It's time for us to start thinking about end of the year lists, best of. <sighs> and the reason we need to start thinking about it is because there still needs to be some time to catch up on stuff that that you guys tell us is amazing that we haven't seen yet because i'm sure there's one or two things that have fallen through the cracks I, that i haven't even heard of last year uh, i only heard about or the year before i only heard about um time of death because one person on one top 10 list mentioned it and i said hmm and i absolutely loved it so i'm gonna th- i threw it on twitter what is the best show of the year or the most overlooked underappreciated show of the year so i thought i'd share what some of the people had to say and i want to hear from our listeners what is the show we haven't talked about on this podcast or you guys aren't seeing get covered other places that you think we need to check out before we start putting together our end of the year lists so Corey says the americans obviously gains got it gains says rectify always rectify also review is a is top five for me and penny dreadful was such a delightful surprise and i would be remiss if i didn't praise Vikings. Plotting is a weak part sometimes, but it's so much more than it seems. Uh, obviously, we love Rectify and Review. Uh, we'll talk about that later in the show with Ryan McGee. Uh, Penny Dreadful, have you have you caught up with that yet? No, I actually just watched the pilot yesterday, and I liked it. I found a lot to like about it. I'm, And it's, I mean, I think I would prefer it if Eva Green was playing every single character, not to denigrate the other actors. Uh, but I, I'm very intrigued to see where it's going from there. I hear that it's a bit of a bumpy ride, but uh, yes, it's definitely, it, it has some things to recommend it right off the bat for sure. Eric says over the garden wall to which I say, what? what? Uh, Shan says person of interest. You're the worst defiance, Penny dreadful Veep Bates motel. Then I'll second Manhattan and unexpected delight. Uh, I doubt I'll, I'll check back in with Bates motel. Shan. Sorry. I just, I kind of hate that show, um, but I'm intrigued by defiance. Um, Julia says Bob's Burgers looking and I'm really enjoying the the affair. Oh, and Shameless. Shameless never gets enough attention. Have you seen any Shameless? I, I have not. Only uh, a couple episodes here and there uh, and I, not nearly enough to provide uh, an, a, to, to state a public opinion on it without sounding like an idiot, basically. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, Grove Street Gal says Banshee Kingdom, The 100 Manhattan and Penny Dreadful. Penny Dreadful, a very popular choice. Uh, Julian also said Manhattan said it had a really good first season worth checking out and Happy Valley was amazing too. I did catch up with Happy Valley this week and had fun with that. James says I watch all of Bunheads again. Does that count? James, that always counts in my book at least. And he says I'm loving The Flash. True Detective was uh, fantastic. Also shameless. Noel says only one show really mattered this year, Kate. Do, 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 do. Um, apart from obvious suspects like Hannibal, The Good Wife, Enlisted, Rectify, here's what's in circulation. 
Cosmos, Inside Amy Schumer, Kill a Kill, Broad City, Ping Pong, The Honorable Woman, and The the Hundred. I've not seen Kill a Kill. I've not seen Ping Pong. Are you familiar with either of these? <laughs> no, and my head is starting to hurt. Okay. There's a few more here. Greg says Rev and Faking It, but especially Rev, also maybe The Hundred. Not so much for this year's list. Season one isn't that good, but for the future, the show's going places. Uh, I've not heard of Rev. I've been meaning to catch up with Faking It. Have you seen either of these? Uh, do you know who the star of Rev is? No. It's uh, it's Tom Hollander. Oh, yeah, I did know that. And isn't he a co-creator, too? I want to say yeah. this show had its series finale this year. I, I don't know if it did, but I it's one of those shows that keeps nagging at me that I absolutely must watch. Ah, that's uh, thanks for, for bringing it up, Greg. I would not have uh, heard about it otherwise. Um, and Kyle says Jane the Virgin Fargo, The Strain, Blackish Selfie, and Jose says Kingdom. So I'm guessing, I don't know if Jose listens to the podcast, but at least we know somebody else is watching the show, right? Yes. That puts us maybe to four. Uh, but with that out of the way, and, and uh, Simon, do you have any assignments for me? <sighs> um, only uh, only the, the one that I've already brought up a few times, and that's a touch of cloth, because it's it's such a necessary corrective to all the grim procedurals and mysteries and and and, 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 and murder mysteries and abduction stories we've been getting lately. Uh, it's It's just... It's wonderful. And it also has better use of Karen Gillan than some things we've seen this year. <clears throat> We're going to talk about Selfie a little later. At least I am. Uh, but yeah, I mean, John Hanna is fabulous. So yeah, I, I, that is one that I will hope. It is on my list, on my physical list that I have over to the right of my computer. And hopefully I will get to it uh, before the end of the year. Uh, with all of that being said, let us know, like I said, let us know, let me know at least what I need to watch and I haven't watched yet or we haven't talked about on the podcast and that's that's my assignment you got for you guys to give to me. The assignment I'm giving to our listeners is watch over the garden wall. And with that, uh, I'm going to take us out as we head to the comedy section. Here's a little sample, a little taste of the delightful magic of over the garden wall. We'll be right back. Led through the mist by the milk light of moon, all that was lost is revealed. Our long bygone burdens Mere echoes of the spring But where have we come And where shall we end If dreams can't come true Then why not pretend How the gentle wind Beckons through the leaves as autumn colors fall Somewhere lost in the clouded annals of history Lies a place that few have seen A mysterious place just delightful everyone uh anyways this week in comedy uh, i'm gonna do a quick roundup of a few shows blackish the gift of hunger brooklyn 99 lockdown and selfie here's this guy then simon's gonna talk about getting on is soap a hazardous substance which we've chosen to put in comedy because that seems to be what i want to say hbo how hbo is describing it yeah i feel like if they when they do emmy submissions they probably consider it a comedy but i'm gonna get into this in a minute yeah and then we'll both talk a little bit about jane the virgin chapter five the episode from last week um this week i'm just doing a quick uh, couple comedies here that i watched and enjoyed this week uh blackish the the beef plantation was just 
with the sneeze guards and like the pasta trough was pretty fabulous. Uh, as well as I, I like the um, the recurring gag with the neighbor and the casserole and everything. The, the, this was another really solid episode. Uh, very much, in, you know, I, I the prank war Halloween episode was a little bit of a downtick for me, but I like that they're kind of back to these. Uh, this idea-based storytelling, like we talked about the last time that we talked about uh, Blackish, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was another solid episode. Very glad to have Blackish in the rotation. Brooklyn Nine Nine, I wanted to mention uh, just <laughs> because there was there was this stuff that Andre Brower had to do in this episode was particularly delightful. Um, the <laughs> crumb me or or. or get the crumbs or whatever he says when they're trying to pretend he's eaten an entire pie. It was fabulous. Uh, I could watch Andre Brower deadpan all day. It, it, it's surprising to me that they haven't run that into the ground because they feature that, you know, that beat every week. And yet somehow it is always hilarious. So uh, a little tip of the cap to Brooklyn nine, nine selfie. I wanted to mention because it's going to be, it's going to be gone soon. It's already been canceled, but I watched the two weeks, uh, the two episodes from last week, Even Hell Has Two Bars and Never Bought Cookies, as well as this week's episode, Here's This Guy. And I've really enjoyed them. I, you know, I'm not laughing out loud, but I'm really having fun with those characters. And, uh, it's, you know, it seems like it's the kind of show that's about to get good just in time to be canceled or to, to go off the air. But I do think having a short time frame, I feel like this is a show that could really, benefit from having just 13 episodes so they can do the arc uh progress the karen gillen character and then get her and john cho together end of first season like i think there's a way to do a 13 episode version of this show that while that while it would be nice to get more of it feels complete and uh really really works as a whole i could watch karen gillen say how are you like i laugh every time she does it. i at least i at least i giggle um so just the they did even if they originally in the pilot in the first couple episodes they were managing to not make her likable or not really make either of the two leads really sing they've improved on that already and uh, i look forward to kind of keeping up a selfie as it goes into its final few weeks or episodes as it ambles towards its slow, sad death. Pretty much, pretty much. How about getting on? I've not caught up with any of this ep- of this show. Of course, I had last season, and then it's what the se- this is the second episode of this season. Uh, what did you have you seen season one? And should I catch up with it? Uh, I haven't seen. Any, I I literally just I had a bit of spare time, and I'd heard the show was interesting, and I'll, rather I have been hearing it since last year, and I thought, hey, why not? I mean. It's funny, you and I both watched some or all of the comeback premiere, and we were both just so indifferent to less than taken with it that we didn't even bother bringing it up on the show. And I think getting on bears mentioning because, you know, to me, watching a show like the comeback, its sense of sort of cringe humor or, you know, black comedy or whatever just felt to me so lazy and rote and familiar and not at all intriguing and i think what i respect about getting on at least based on this episode i don't know if it's representative of what it's usually doing is that this show is fucking black (laughs) this show this is if you i don't people want to call it a comedy they're free to do so but if it is a comedy it is the absolute darkest tinge of comedy i can recall in uh, in recent years but i think what i what i appreciate about the episode that i w- did watch is that there is a sense of compassion to it and to its characters that arises naturally from the setting 
and yes, it's bleak, and yes, it's it's not. I can't imagine anyone laughing out loud at this episode. There are some elements that are vaguely humorous, but a lot of it is just really, really bleak. And to be able to pull that off uh, without me wanting to just immediately tune out, uh, that's an intriguing combo. So I'm gonna try to check out more of it uh, and possibly keep up with it as the rest of the year comes on because I'm I'm I am intrigued by it. I'm not sure if if I'm totally sold on it yet, but it it has some really strong moments in this episode. Uh, that I don't want to get into because you haven't gotten to watch it yet. And I appreciate that as ever. Uh, yeah, it's it's always nice to see a show taking a different approach. And, uh, you know, it's a show about uh, people who work at a nursing home, right? Or, or hospice care? Hospice care, yes. Yeah, so it should be black. It should be dark comedy. I don't want to see the, the wacky adventures of, I mean, that doesn't feel honest. Uh, it just in theory. So that is that is promising to hear. Yeah, I mean, like, this isn't, uh, to to give you an example that's not terribly spoilery, there is a, a patient who has just ruined her body through alcohol abuse, and for a couple of beats, she's a little bit of a wacky character, and like, and they have these exchanges that are kind of, again, blackly funny, but the scene ends with, with the nurse telling her, if you have one more drink, your body will shut down and you will die. And that's the end of the scene. <laughs> it does not end with a laugh line, it ends with the truth. And I really appreciate touches like that. Also, Elia Shawkat is on hand for what seems like her first episode uh, as as an exceedingly strange character. And that's always good because I often wonder what she's doing. Yes. And uh, more Elia Shawkat on my TV is definitely a good thing. So you've uh, convinced me. I'm going to try to make uh, carve out some time. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> but I'll try to carve out some time to watch a little uh, getting on. So thanks for that. Yes. Also, 90% female cast, which is always cool. Definitely. Uh, speaking of 90% female cast, Jane the Virgin, Chapter 5, yeah. uh, which it's not actually a 90% female cast, but uh, it is a fabulous cast for for sure. This episode, we got a lot more time with uh, Rogelia de, de la Vega. I felt very fancy when our my tweet about the last week's episode, in which I uh, hashtag Jane the Virgin, got like, favorited. By Rogelio de la Vega on Twitter. So, you know, that was pretty fancy, I got to say. Uh, what did you think of this of this episode? Uh, it was fabulous, as all of the episodes so far have been. I, I mean, I heard some people say that it was maybe a slight downtick or, like, maybe the least interesting of the five episodes so far. I haven't really noticed any downticking. I haven't noticed any feet being placed in the wrong spot yet. Uh, I don't know about you. There hasn't been any plot points so far, except for the, maybe the introduction of Petra's mom, who I'm... Like I'm still not particularly interested in that character, but beyond that, I've there hasn't been a moment so far where I'm like I'm not sure about this. Well, uh, for me, the the biggest thing that I had a uh, moment I had with Jane the Virgin this week, aside as previously stated, from getting my parents to check it out, uh, is um, I want to say it was Laura Browning, one of the people, uh, one of the critics I follow on um, on Twitter, was saying that she had just caught up with Jane the Virgin. And tweeted, I'm going to ruin it for you, too. Uh, oh, I just figured out who Sin, Sin Roster is. Am I the last person online to figure that out? Uh, which made me realize, oh, she's right. It's probably really obvious. Uh, do we think Sin Rostro is uh, Raphael's dad or Petra's mom? Oh, huh. Because it's going to uh, be somebody we know. Oh, I feel like Petra's mom is the obvious choice. Yeah, I it, like. I really think it could go either way. The casting of Raphael's dad, that actor, I enjoy him. He usually gets 
you know, he I seen I've seen him far more in bad guy roles, and obviously he's very good at that. If he wants, if they want that, um, but uh, yeah, I really could go either way. I'm also calling right now. She can walk. I'm also just saying that because in rewatching the um, the pilot or the second episode, there's some line about how the the her, the mother's key card was used on the stairs. And I don't think she was walking up. Your mom got out of her wheelchair to walk up and down the stairs. And I was like, yes, she did. Calling the <laughs> twist now. See, I love that I can speculate about this kind of thing. This ridiculous, these ridiculous twists and still love the show and, and find so much heart and honesty within it. Well, and it tells you something that I spend absolutely 0.00% of my time when I watch this show ever thinking about twists or trying to predict what's going to happen ever. Because you don't need to, because it's, it's, that's not what it's about. That's there. You can have fun with it. I haven't thought about that stuff either. It was uh, until re- I started rewatching it with, with my parents. But, um, but yeah, if you want to watch it that way, you absolutely can. But there's so much more that it has to offer. Uh, what was your highlight of this episode? I, don't, I feel like the, the dinner uh, with in the Mayan ruins or, or the Aztec ruins or whatever was pretty fantastic. Uh, that was great. I mean, they've done a... I, I praised them early on for this, and they've done a, a really good job following up on the the notion of, of, of Rogelia de la Vega as being essentially good-hearted, even the e- while being insanely buffoonish. I think they they've really hit a sweet spot with that character, and I'm not surprised that he's been a little bit of a breakout. Yeah, um, me neither. Um, I also I'm glad that they have. Uh, I mean, I like the, you said you teased this last week, but they like you said they do expand the. Um, the the meta element or the uh, the textual element this week, and so the 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 translations of uh, Raphael and Michael's conversation right was yes. pretty fantastic as well. Yeah, that's whenever the show can can up the sass quotient, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we could go on and on about our love for Jane the Virgin, but but we should we should uh, continue the, the week in TV. So, what wins your week in comedy? Uh. Obviously, it's going to stick to Jane the Virgin. Yeah, the Jane the Virgin Award goes to Jane the Virgin. Um, and <laughs> I really feel like this is at Rectify Award levels um, right now. I guess I'll give a secondary, you know, like the second you know, level. Because I feel like it's just Jane the Virgin is going to be a lock until they screw up in a big way. Was that was that happening while Rectify was airing? Yeah. I was in the woods at the yes, time. Yes, it was the... <laughs> What wins your Rectify Award for Best Drama of the Week? Um, yes, yeah, so this uh, the secondary I'll give it to Blackish, but yeah, again, once again, Jane the Virgin for me. Um, now we'll take a break and not listen to some Over the Garden Wall because there was another show that had some fabulous music this week, uh, and come back with our week in genre. He shows emotion without a trace He hides behind a mask so strong Worried that he could be wrong I wish that he could see the way I see him The perfect brother, a man without sin Cause underneath the manly sheen Single 
this week in genre, I'm going to do a quick roundup of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., The Writing on the Wall, uh, Legend of Korra, Reunion, and Sleepy Hollow Mama. Uh, then Simon's going to talk a little bit uh, of American Horror Story, Freak Show, Bullseye, and we're both going to talk after that uh, Supernatural fan fiction, the 200th episode of that show. Of course, that song you just heard is from the Supernatural musical. So excited to talk about that. But before we get there, uh, I wanted to mention S.H.I.E.L.D. because they seem to have... uh, I was very glad that they progressed their uh, Coulson going crazy etching thingy this week and really tied that up. Uh, Nice to see Brian Van Holt uh, in that episode. He's having a bit of a year. If it wasn't, you know, the Ann Dowd and uh, Zach Woods year of everything, I would say Brian Van Holt's having quite the year, but I'm sorry, they still win. Brian Van Holt... The bridge, yeah, the bridge, and this, and he's got Ascension coming. Uh, I want to say he's in at least one other show as well this year. So quite a few. I always enjoy, of course, Cougar Town whenever it comes back. Um, but uh, yeah, so I was glad that they wrapped that up. Uh, I, I liked what they did with the 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 train or whatever that 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 worked well, and um, it seems like we're getting again more forward emotion which is definitely a good thing for the show uh legend of Korra reunion was another fun episode but you know once again the i think you know and i kind of predicted this as well i watched the first three seasons of legend of Korra in like two two or three days while i was really sick uh so i i got to really marathon and enjoy like dive headlong into the world of this show and it's just not working anywhere near as well for me uh, week to week spaced out i think it's just marathoning the show works the beats of it work far better for me when i can really just go from one to the next to the next it's still fun i'm still enjoying uh legend of Korra, but i'm getting a little frustrated by some of the the pacing and the developments when it's broken up like this so um i'm hoping that that will change and it'll pick up and i won't you know because it there's certain beats that you can just see coming you know they're going to happen before the end of the season and if i have to wait two months to get to it it's kind of frustrating as opposed to wait a couple hours. So um, I'm hoping that, that that will, I don't know, some some other things will start happening to, to relieve that frustration for me. But um, but again, again, you know, nice to see Bolin really kicking ass with the lava and I uh, like what they're doing with Varric. So um, yeah, there's there's fun stuff happening with Korra. Sleepy Hollow, I have to mention my review, like I said earlier, should be up at Sound On Sight by the time you guys hear this. It's, it's like the writers at Sleepy Hollow heard the the segment that uh you know Ryan McGee who's going to be on later this episode and friend of the show Mo Ryan did on their podcast about Sleepy Hollow last week talking about how the show built up this wonderful ensemble and then this season said oh pay no attention they have they haven't used Jenny they haven't used Frank they have they've really not focused on Abby anywhere near as much because they've been so concerned about building up uh Katrina but also just wasting time on Holly. It's, it's like they heard, the writers heard this and then hopped in a TARDIS, went back, they could only go back to episode nine and fixed it. <laughs> because this episode, finally we get a story that's absolutely personal to Jenny and to Abby, them, the ghost of their mother and all of this, this really great, uh, very intense emotional material. This is the kind of thing they could be doing if not every week, every other week, this is the kind of background that they've established with Jenny and Abby, and the rest of the season has utterly ignored that. So it was just 
wonderful to see that come up this year, this this week. Definitely the best episode of the season for me. And I'm hoping it's not a fluke, but we'll see what happens moving forward. Are, are you interested at all? Is, is that enough of a boost to get you interested in, in checking in with Sleepy Hollow? Or are you just going to kind of wait to the end of the season? Uh, I'm I'm still, even just from what I'm hearing based on, even just in this episode, like I, I did read up on it and like that's sounds like it's better than what's been happening, but I don't know. I Sleepy Hollow shtick kind of wears thin for me quickly. Fair enough. Uh, I, I think it was smart that they just basically knocked Ichabod out. <laughs> he's got a mega cold and he's just in a corner sniffling throughout the episode. It's nice to, to, to see the show really explore the other characters, specifically focusing on Abby and Jenny. And it's like, yes, Ichabod is a big part of why the show is so successful, but Abby is just as significant a role uh, and just as significant a part in the show's success. So I was glad to see the focus be on, on her and, and Jenny this week. Um, let's move on to American Horror Story Freak Show Bullseye. Now, did you catch up with the previous episodes or did you just dive in with this one? No, I figured American Horror Story is incoherent enough that I can pretty much jump in whenever the hell I feel like it because <laughs> it's American Horror Story. I mean, at this point, every episode is pretty much the same. And I'm not saying that to necessarily denigrate it, but everyone knows what I'm talking about, I think. Uh, I, I did think this was a little bit better than some of the past episodes in the season. I felt like I should check back in because I know that certain people uh, are really anxious to hear us talk about it. So I feel bad that I don't have more to say. Uh, but I do think they're making slightly better use of the ensemble. I think the setup they have now post post killer clown is uh, a little bit of an easier watch. I'm not feeling a lot of narrative momentum though, which at this point in the season, I should really be feeling, I should be feeling a little, some, some sense of exhilaration happening and it's not coming to me and the stuff with Dennis O'Hare and Emma Roberts isn't providing enough. Although the, the nightmare dream sequence of, uh, of uh, her drowning the world's smallest woman was appropriately distressing. Yeah. Uh, I gotta say, I got away from the show last week. I, when I was sick, I just didn't have the attention span or energy um, and so it slipped past me and I have not missed the show. I forgot to watch it again this week. And um, that's not a good sign. I, I remember at the beginning of Coven, I was so excited about American Horror Story when I first tuned into it. But um, yeah, I'm sure I'll catch back up at some point. It's not like it's doing anything horribly. There's definitely interesting things happening, but especially uh, the way the show has really committed to like a song per episode but sung by people who are actors, not singers, uh, has not helped <laughs> with my enjoyment level and some of these other plots, like you said. Like, I'm not interested in the Dennis O'Hare character at all this season. If it makes you feel any better there, I'm fairly certain there was no song this week. Or if there was, it must have been short because I don't remember it happening. Okay, well, that's encouraging for me. Who am I saying that I don't want a song on 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 a show? Um, we're gonna the next show we're gonna talk about has plenty of them that I I did love, but um, but yeah, just this, if you're gonna have singer singing on your show, hire singers. You know, hire people who are very good <laughs> at singing. There are a lot of them out there. Um, anyways, that's my own personal pet peeve. Well, well I mean, it 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 makes sense for the character that she's not a great singer. I just, but I agree with you that they don't necessarily need to have that happen 
that often to make that point. Yeah, exactly. Let's move on, though, because we got to talk about Supernatural fan fiction. This is the 200th episode of the series. Uh, Mo Ryan was talking about this, actually, uh, as well on last week's Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan. There are, there are not many shows that I can say I've watched 200 episodes of, and one of them is Supernatural. Like, it's like Law & Order. Probably Law and Order SVU at this point, right? I haven't seen all of it, but I've seen a lot. I don't know, but definitely Law and Order. Maybe a couple other shows. I would never have guessed five years ago that I would have seen two hundred episodes of Supernatural, but I have. Uh, Simon, how many episodes of Supernatural have you seen? I've now seen one, one episode. <laughs> uh, wait, wait a second. How many episodes of Doctor Who have you watched? And I'm including the oh. archival junk that. Yeah. That's got to be two hundred. Right? Oh yeah, at least, at least, because. There are, yeah, 50 years worth. So, yeah, that's its own thing. Okay, fair enough. Probably I, 200 episodes of Trek, I'm sure, if you put combine them. But uh, but anyways, uh, so so this was your first episode of Supernatural. Thank you for watching it. I really enjoyed this episode. Um, it, it was It's full of nods to uh, to the series, to the, the behind-the-scenes creative elements uh, of the show, to characters who have you know who are long dead or um or recently gone as well it also did the thing that supernatural has done several times and more su successfully than most other shows of being very meta while also uh connecting into the the relationships of the series how did this episode work for someone like, i i pretty much love this episode as a 200th episode how did this work as a first episode Oh, well, I mean, uh, it's one of those things where, without foreknowledge, you just kind of watch it and sit back and think, yep, this is a scene that I'm not <laughs> meant to get anything out of. And you just sort of have to take that for about half the episode. But I, I will say that it was, more than anything else, I just thought it was really sweet. Uh, the the It's very clear that the people who make this show know that they owe their fandom everything. And, I mean to be able to make 10 seasons of anything that people are still enjoying is huge to be able to make 200 episodes of anything that people are still enjoying is huge. And they know that and they, they clearly know that very intimately and they are, it's, it's great to see a show uh, that uh, I mean, a genre show or anything like that, that is so willing to just have to embrace every aspect of its fandom, even the stuff that the characters themselves would and should be totally uncomfortable with. <laughs> oh, the 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 Wincest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. On on Game of Thrones, Twincest is Wincest. On Supernatural, Wincest is Wincest, and that's uh, I love whenever that comes up. It's come up a couple times in various uh, meta episodes for the show, but it, it's and I saw this in a review uh, online. It's such a smart way to do a 200th episode because a lot of times, like big milestone episodes, like a hundred episodes, something like that, there'll be a lot of flashbacks or they'll have characters come back from the dead, and instead of doing that, they have the guys show up at a high school musical that is of their lives. So we get references to Bobby. We get references to these other characters who have been, who are dead, who you could come up with reasons for them to come back, but it would feel contrived. It would, it would distract from the central relationship of the brothers and what the show has been. And also it's just, you know, in a compare, just compare this show's relationship with fan fiction and with the, like the creativity that, that drives so much of a fan base do something like Aaron Sorkin's relationship with the internet. Or, you know, 
Doctor Who. Or Doctor Who's relationship uh, with its, yeah, yeah, Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who's relationship with its fans and fan base. Yeah, definitely. Which, which like, can I just say, like, okay, Sorkin, you expect it. You know, you don't expect Sorkin to have to to have that sort of relationship with with internet fandom but i feel like someone who is show running doctor who probably should yeah yep and there's also of course sherlock for that as well but um but uh, but now the thing that really matters first of all i have to mention i loved the costuming i love that the the writer is max fisher from rushmore uh such a i only saw that mentioned in one review and it it was the first thing i i thought of when i saw her in that red beret um i'm curious if you have any thoughts on that and also i gotta know what you think of the songs uh the songs were good uh they were it sounds like they were written in about 10 minutes by some very talented people i mean that in a nice way Mm -hmm. uh they had like just the right amount of slapdashness to them appropriate for a student production Mm -hmm. uh and they got someone who could sing. Yes. Uh, I, I'm i not as good at detecting subtle autotune as other people are, like perhaps you. Uh, maybe there was some pitch correction going on, but uh, it, it, didn't, it certainly wasn't overbearing if there was. It may be a little bit sad when they mentioned the Charlie Kaufman-ness of it all, because then that reminded me, oh yeah, Charlie Kaufman had a pilot this year with John Hawks that didn't get picked up. Why did you just explode my brain? If I knew about that, I had forgotten. So that just makes me sad. Uh, yeah. yeah, it was passed on by FX. Ooh. Yeah. Just think about that for a minute. That is interesting. It must also not with have Catherine been Keener good. and Michael Sarah. <clears throat> what? Okay, that's yeah. that's fast. There's a story there. There's got to be a story there. <laughs> but let's get back to Supernatural quickly. Uh, thank you for watching it and, t- and tuning in. I'm glad that you were able to enjoy it, even though I'm sure a lot of the stuff went over the, your uh, your head just from not knowing the show. I got to mention the end, very ending. I loved that they had um, Chuck, God, come back uh, for that nice little brief cameo. I'm hoping we don't see him again. I have a feeling that we're going to get a return to Adam. Uh, I, I don't think they include Adam in this if he's not going to become important again. It was just a subtle way to remind the audience, oh, he's been stuck in hell with Lucifer for five years. So, you know, maybe that's not cool to do to your half-brother. So we'll see if that comes into play in a larger way. But um, I got I t- tip my hat to Supernatural. I had a blast with this episode. And it absolutely wins my week in genre. What about you? Oh, by default, it wins my week in genre as well. For Just for the fact that I watched a 200th episode of a show that I've long had reservations about ever checking out just because uh, I'm a little bit Sorkin-y when it comes to fandom, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, secretly Sorkin-y. Um, secretly Sorkin-y? But I, I, That's got to be a Tumblr. Secretly Sorkin, maybe. Uh, anyway, so, but I, yeah, it, it wins. Okay, well, now we'll take a break, listen to, again, a little bit more Over the Garden Wall, and come back with our weekend drama. At night, when the lake is a mirror, and the moon rides the waves to the shore, a single soul sets his voice singing, content to be slightly forlorn. Song rises over the lilies, sweeps high to clear over the reeds, and over the bulrushes sway to pluck at a pair of heartstrings. Two voices now they are singing, 
then ten as the melody soars. Round the shimmering pond all are joining in song as it carries their reverie on. This week in drama, we're going to talk quickly about Kingdom, Please Refrain from Crying, Parenthood, Aired Brownstein, Must Be Stopped, The Affair, Six. Those two titles, I like the back, you know, compared to each other. Um, the Good Wife, Sticky Content, and The Newsroom, Run. So first, uh, Kingdom, Please Refrain from Crying. I liked this episode, but it was probably the least effective of them for me. Though, you know, I think they needed to bring everything to a head. What, how did these different, uh, it, it, but it did seem a lot like the realization of stuff you kind of knew was going to happen. What, what did you think? Yes. I mean, we, we finally have Joanna going getting to leave the room and finding out that she hasn't torn off any of her limbs, uh, which was nice to see. Uh, and everything, I don't know, like we, it's a strange episode because it's transitional in the sense that a lot of stuff happens and we don't get to see the ramifications of it yet. But also it felt like we should have learned more about how everything fell apart in the first place. And the, the initial sequence of events, I don't, the show's done a really, really good job of not expo dumping on us, and I value that very much. But in a sense, it's almost done that too well and withheld too much. And I'm I'm all for shows airing in interesting directions, but I feel like they need to course correct a little bit, and we need to even to get a to get a scene set in the to get an episode set earlier in the timeline would be great. Yeah, that would actually be wonderful. I didn't realize I wanted that until you said it, uh, and I do. I th- I, that's what I think was missing from a scene like Ryan's, uh, I guess, conversation with his father. We know that he's responsible for his father being in that chair, but with what we've seen from Ryan, even with seeing some of the rage or these other things that are within him or were more pronounced before all of this happened – it doesn't seem like there's something that we're missing, some piece of information we're missing into why, what happened that that led to, not necessarily prompted or deserved, but what led to him beating the crap out of his father? What was mm-hmm. the instigating? And so because I don't, because I feel, because it seems so obvious that there is something there that we don't know, I don't have a connection to it because I don't have a horse in that race. Um, I I just immediately just sort of distrust this what's presented here where it's just Ryan is so guilty and he's completely in the wrong and, you know, obviously he paralyzed his father. So, yes, he is obviously in the wrong there. But what you know what I mean? You know what I mean, though? It, where there's there's more yes. to that story. And if the show wanted us to be very invested in his guilt, I think we or, or, or completely invested in the father being a victim, we needed to see that he truly was a victim, that it was like he was drunk, he was like, he was, um, I don't know, he was drunk or he was high, because I think there was some talk of substance abuse issues in the past, or just some, something like what got out of hand and the dad stepped in between two, something. If we're supposed to just really feel like the father is a vic- complete victim in this, completely not, not did not contribute to the situation getting out of hand, we needed to see something. Uh, we we keep saying the father. Can we just take a second and acknowledge MC motherfucking Ganey? Yeah, great to see and him on the show. He better be back, I gotta say. Great to see him on the show, but also really, really interesting that they got a guy 
who just has such an immense physical presence and then incapacitate him. That's such a smart decision. And again, it's another reason that I'd like to see uh, an episode set earlier in the timeline because it would be great to see the contrast because uh, we know what he looks like at full strength. And uh, so that was just a really smart casting choice. And I did, I did think as predictable as the Keith stuff was, that scene was really effective. Yeah, yeah, it really was. They, I did not realize, I had no idea what they were building to with Keith, but that's that's one way to go. And uh, yeah, it certainly, certainly was effective. Uh, I want to mention before we completely get off the 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 family stuff that I was glad to see Cynthia Stevenson pop up. I've, I've really enjoyed her ever since dead like me. She's great. in this week's episode of uh sleepy hollow as well. So it's nice to see her, you know, a bit of uh simpatico this week between those two shows. Uh, what did, what did you think about um, what the conflict we saw with Jay and Alvy? Again, the jury's out on that one because like you said, they're, they're stacking the deck by withholding too much information about Alvy's point of view. Because right now, Alvy just seems like a complete bastard. And we don't we don't know why he was so keen to abandon his wife or like what the sequence of events was. And I, and I think at this point, as great as it is that the show has been so sort of weird and elliptical about revealing stuff, I think it's time for them to start uh, being a little bit less withholding. But I think I think the Alvy stuff is actually the topic on which they really need to start working on it because he is the, technically the central figure and he's he's a very difficult person to even vaguely empathize with at the moment. Well, we've also gotten a glimpse into Jay's perspective of all this in the pilot when he was talking with Ryan um, they're they're you know having burritos or whatever. Uh, so we we've not gotten anything about Alvy's perspective either we've got we get a little bit of of christina's i think this week but yeah and and the reason that it's drawing for me is because the show has been handling all these different elements so well so far that's what you know makes this episode feel a little off kilter or a little you know not a little unsatisfying maybe um so i'm hoping that they'll start resolving that soon yes i mean it's this show has put so few has had so few missteps so far that even just even the slightest ones make you realize how well pitched and balanced it's been so far. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's move on to Parenthood. Aaron Brownstein must be stopped. I just love that title. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you've gotten a chance. I know you had to stop watching uh, when we were initially talking about Parenthood. I don't know if you have have had a chance to go back and finish. Uh, but I got to say, I loved the. I had a lot of fun with the the Max storyline, and I particularly loved the way it came together. Um, that scene with Christina and Max when with his um his his collage and everything I loved the show going that direction with it and really you know cuz I'm I very much empathize with her situation and her perspective on this her her pride in her son for being able to express such powerful emotion he didn't do it in a helpful way or in a way that's going to make his high school experience positive moving forward but his ability to to be so emotionally raw in in a character who people who don't know him don't see that he even experiences that emotion there i really love that scene with the two of them did you get that far uh i i did not i'm gonna try to finish it later but there were just certain aspects of that storyline that i was having such a hard time with uh, that uh i i had to 
I had to jettison it and then save it for later, but we'll maybe we'll get back to this next week. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'll also say I liked what we got with uh with Ruby um and and Hank. It does feel like they're trying to get you they're trying to build a love triangle again with Sarah only for once she's not the person doing the picking. Um so we'll see if that's just in my head or if they're going somewhere with with Hank and Sandy but uh the uh, the only thing I actually want to mention about parenthood this week is that the budget restrictions are so obvious this season, so painfully obvious the way cert- just they can only have it they can clearly only have a certain number of regulars on board. Mm-hmm. per episode and one it's obviously the reason we're spending so much time with Ray Romano and the other and the mm-hmm. characters associated with him who are not regulars uh really not a good look for your final season when it's a show about family and the family is never together yeah yep uh though at least we finally got some time with Jasmine this week and uh I, I really like what they do with Jasmine and Crosby and I'm hoping that that will continue to be a thread because you know like I, I don't actually know if if that actress is part of the regular cast or not but I would you know it, it's long overdue that we actually saw and spent some time with Jasmine so um we'll talk more about parenthood next week I'm sure so let's move on now to the affair six uh so drug dealing Drug dealing. Twist halfway through. Uh, well, it is and it isn't. I mean, here's the. This is a. This is the weirdest episode of the affair so far, which is good because it gives us something to talk about. Um, it's 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 kind of a strange thing that happens because they make it seem like the coke dealing is a really big deal and a really pivotal twist, but then in uh in Allison's half, they kind of it's they do a thing where it becomes not a show about uh, an affair so much as it becomes a show about class. And it's like, well, this is just what we got to do to get through. If it's, you know, it's we deal Coke or we sell the ranch. It's a binary. The show sets up. If you go with that binary, it's not such a big deal that, that, that they're dealing Coke. People do Coke. All right. I, I disagree, <laughs> but okay. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying that I'm that, that I think. Yeah. That's yeah. What it, yeah. I'm saying yeah, that not. this is, this is the, this is the way the show is framing it. Like this is the way not... that those characters are choosing to frame it, so that they can validate their choice to themselves. Yeah, but what I'm saying is that the sh- in the context of the show, this is not suddenly a show about coke dealing. It's yeah. just it's they've decided that this is the way they're going to express the class differences. So I thought that was I'm not necessarily th- saying it was the smartest way to do it, but it but when they initially revealed that that was happening. That's not what I thought they were going to do with it. So I guess that's something. Yeah, I I did not think when we wrapped up our flash forwards that then all of a sudden uh, drug dealing uh, in the past. And it really, I, I, the jury's out for me on how that works. The this I find it interesting that we get what feels like the most biased f- flashback or perspective from Allison this week. Uh, That's been something that's been frustrating for me earlier because the Noah scenes felt just so clearly biased for him. Because obviously these should be, they're they're showing the the memories and perspective of these people, so they're going to be biased. But it was just so, it was over over the top for me. It was just, he's got, if he's remembering this, how can he not see how biased he's making it? For, towards right. himself and that i saw that a bit in the allison scenes here where she's like i don't want this life 
and all of that. I just, I'm like, I don't, I believe his version of you way more than your version of you in this same scene. Right. And that's, it's cool that for them to have that pendulum swing happen, it's actually better. I think if they're going to have that happen, it's, it's, it's more interesting if, if, I mean, if it was always Noah's account you were having trouble with, that would get really, really boring really quickly. As it did over the first five weeks. As it did. So, and and there's just so much that's weird about this show. Like the fact that we no longer, that we just don't have flash forwards this week means what is the context for us learning this part of the story? There is none. We don't know. (laughs) And I'm always tempted to just immediately see the preview for next week, not because I'm so anxious to see it, but just because I'm like, what is the plan here? And and I, I still enjoy watching it based on the performances and, you know, certain aspects. But, like, mostly I'm enjoying it on this other sort of meta level of just, like, watching people construct a show and just having no fucking idea what the plan is. There's, 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 there's some entertainment value in that and not in like a mocking way, just in like, what, what is just trying to figure out, trying to reason it out. What's the, what's the design? And that's been fun for me, but maybe not the kind of fun they were hoping for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm still in the, you know, I, I enjoyed this episode more than some of the others because it did take this bold move and I'm hoping to enjoy the next few just as much. Uh, hopefully it'll just pick up steam towards the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, uh, I get, I know this one didn't feel like homework. And so I, that's a step in the right direction, right? Yeah. I do think that next week needs to do something at least as radical. I mean, there's, it seems like at the end of the episode that they split up and he leaves and so mm-hmm. if, is next episode going to just start next summer? That would be cool. Or like just... That would be great. Or just to- completely in the future. Or maybe maybe they'll be in space. I don't know. Like Actually, she mentions being in space this mm-hmm. week in one of the better scenes. I thought, is next week going to be in space? That's where the show is at right now. Where I just have no fucking idea. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed we'll get an all singing, all dancing uh, space review. It, now you're just making me think of the news radio and space episode because of the famous Maura Tierney. Um, but anyways, let's move on because we still have plenty to talk about and we're running short on time. The Good yep. Wife, sticky content. So much love for this episode. I was not able to watch live and I had to shut Twitter because I was seeing too many vowel sounds and exclamation points. Thankfully, without context, because the people I follow on Twitter are all cool and they don't spoil. Um, I was very glad when I watched it to see what those were referencing and the way that I love the good wives. What counts as a spoiler and an oh my God moment is a hand touching another hand on this show. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Um there was a lot to like about this episode. My only real disappointment with this episode is that when it started, uh, given what we get with uh, Alicia getting the, the the package from Prady and opening it and, and what she finds, I love the way she leaps on that box, by the way. <laughs> After um, an Alicia-sized glass of wine. <laughs> please don't ever take that line out of context. Um, when she sees those photos, I thought to myself, I'm going to be really s- disappointed if the last four words of this episode are not, I want a divorce. I just, <laughs> I so... I I don't know if it's if it's gonna happen, but I feel like if they just if they just bite the bullet and make that a story beat this season, 
that would just that's that would be the the splody thing that would make me happy this season because it just in my in my brain that just juts out in a whole bunch of potentially interesting and fascinating directions uh and it just and it just feels to me like it's it just doesn't at, at a certain point it no longer makes sense for Alicia to even put up with it it's just if it, like she's such a she's such a machine and yes she she enjoys power but she enjoys pride more, you know? And I, I feel like she's put up with so much for so long that something's got to give. And I don't I don't think that touching Finn's hand is enough. <laughs> well, you know, and I, I really like that they establish that this is a long-term relationship. And affair. they basically just introduced us to Peter's will. And I love that because she, she doesn't, she, she could, I mean, she's human, so I'm sure she would be pissed off that he was having an affair, but she just told him last season, I don't care what you do, just don't get caught. Um, and so she, she has not a leg to stand on about him sleeping with Ramona now, but when she finds out that they were having an affair, when she thought she was happily married to her faithful husband, when she was being a housewife. That really undercuts it. And I, you know, when you can, when you can add that in with the scene of Ramona and Peter in the car, I thought that was lovely. And actually that scene to me felt like the first step in Peter choosing Ramona and come on, the temp is totally his love child, right? Uh, over a political choice. I, I feel like this show could go that direction and have them completely reverse roles by the end of the series where she's choosing the political thing and he's choosing the family. Well, I mean, at this point, is there much political capital to be gained by them still being married? There's some. Yeah, definitely. Not, But not like a life-changing amount, I don't think. I think there's a way, if it's not an election year for either of them, I think there is a way to choreograph a divorce that can go can work for the two of them you could totally choreograph it in an election year you could say and now we're just getting into wild brazen speculation (laughs) which is always fun but like here like you want to know that i'm not that i'm going to be uh that i'm going to be tough on that i'm going to be tough on my husband like and like not be partisan there's not a way that doesn't hurt one of them in an election year i don't see it yeah but she she could be totally open to hurting peter (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but then he's going to hurt her and that that's that's what I mean. They have a, they have a deal basically. So unless one of them backs out on that and uh at this point I don't see Alicia doing that. Really? No, not right now. No. Yeah, uh, anyway, well we'll we'll have to keep this open for future thought. To be continued, yeah. But uh, let's talk just briefly about that scene with Finn because I loved I loved that. And the part that I loved is the conversation the next day where he comes in and in the most delightful of subtexty ways and in the words <laughs> of Supernatural's 200th episode, you can't spell subtext without sex. Uh SEX. Uh he's like, "Yeah, we both know what this is about." may have been brushing hands, but this basically we want to do each other. Uh, So is this going to happen? I love that. Well, I just, I I love, and Matthew Good has been such a delight. And Mm -hmm. you would never guess that a guy who was introduced in the episode where Will fucking dies 
would be <laughs> you'd never guess that would be a, tra a transition that would work and the the fact that they were able to make it work is a testament to good writing but also just his general charm and general charm and the way my favorite thing about that scene is the way he leaves when he's just like mm, i'm not doing this now <laughs> just, it's like, I, I can't right now i can't even it's like to be continued well i like i like that it's very it, it's very they're so supportive of each other and that's something we were there was there was a flurry of discussion on about this on twitter amongst uh many fabulous people who too many to name and you know that that fact that finn was so involved in will's death that really is key to them being so bonded because they were both incredibly fragile and emotional and vulnerable with each other almost immediately after meeting and helped each other through very traumatic parts of their lives for for her it was losing will for him his wife had a miscarriage and then left him shortly after this uh so we haven't seen that but they were both you know they, they were both rocks for each other without you know, well, just like a friendship, but it was a, a source of consistency in their lives. And so that's allowed them to skip forward, you know, several years in, the, in their friendship. Mm -hmm. And so I like that when he leaves, it's it's not like there's it's not like that. That's conversation is, well, now we've revealed that truly there's this deep passion between us and we can only <laughs> right. No, yeah. it, it's it's like, hey, are we going to do something about this? Or they could go back to just being friends if they want to. They both leave that. Of that option open um and the way that he leaves is not angry is not judgmental it's just sort no, of like yeah. it's bemused maybe uh and i think it works really well again so well played well written uh and just again respectful i love that yes uh i've 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 chided the show for not giving finn a whole lot more to do besides just being an incredibly nice dude but in the context of the good wife i'm starting to think that maybe that's enough because uh, there's no one else, right? <laughs> well, there might be Prady. Uh, I do yeah. like everything we get with Prady and David Hyde Pierce, and I, I, I really enjoy that they really do seem committed to really just having him be not necessarily a nice person, but uh, I, I, my favorite line of the episode, I loved it, was... Uh, uh, I'm I, I'm not or I don't want to be a martyr. I just think I can win a fair fight. That was just a great way to state that character's M.O. in two seconds flat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I like the way that they, they're really being set up as flip of the coin and the way they have enough different people state that um, that I believe them. Uh, I also I'm with you. I think Prady is on the up and up. And I think mostly because I think it's just so much more interesting if he is. Uh, we'll see what happens moving forward. I. The show is not allowed to do the show can do most anything because it can get away with and well execute execute well enough pretty much anything at this point that I'll I'll go with them. There there's one thing they're not allowed to do and that's make Finn Polmar a bad person, make him like mm -hmm. secretly you know he's gonna s screw over Alicia. They can't do that. I will not allow it. She's been through too much. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I'm hoping they don't do that with Prady. They could, it's like, I really don't hope they don't do it with Brady, but they better not fucking do it with Finn. Yeah, I would like if they would give a little bit more dimension to Stephen Pasquale's character, because mm -hmm. uh, he is feeling awfully one note. But And also the fact that she's been keeping him on when he just has consistently not been following orders or has been doing the wrong thing when she doesn't want him to uh, is a little bit weird. But uh, hopefully they'll re readjust the course a little bit on that. Wasn't crazy about... Um, 
we got more adventures with Kalinda and her FBI girlfriend. Lana. Uh, or I know her name now. That's nice. You know her name now? Yeah. Um, yeah. Good for you, Delaney. Wasn't it? Isn't her last name Delaney? Anyway. Something like that. Lana, Lana Delaney. It's actually very, very onomatopoeic. But um, yeah, I didn't care about that. Was I the only one who found the last scene insanely rushed? Like, I almost missed it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Didn't care about that. Some of the stuff with Carrie was nice. The, the scene with him and Mike Holder was fabulous. Um yeah, it's. I really hope they're wrapping up that story next week. It kind of feels like they are. It's the last episode of the se- of the year. Next week, they they're on break till January for two more episodes. So I don't know. Are, I'm hoping for some real closure on that. Well, it's the trial. Is <laughs> the name of the episode next week? So I would assume. Um, though you know, you know the good wife. Yeah, I really liked the stuff we got with Carrie as well. Uh, the the him freaking out and having those daydreams of being executed was effectively chilling i liked that the the lighting and the colors were brighter and more you know it was stagey there and that you know i like that element of heightened reality to it uh <clears throat> kalinda just being in his apartment it was like i feel like that could easily be this other stuff in the episode could be a distraction and the thing that's actually going to end up screwing him over is the fact that there was a witness to him and kalinda being within 30 feet of each other uh, in the bodyguard. <laughs> so we'll see where that's. I keep waiting for the shoe to drop, other shoe to drop with that. Um, but otherwise, oh, we should mention Marissa Gold. Sarah Steele, always a pleasure. I enjoyed her here. Uh, David Krumholtz was fun. Uh, the the mention of the Titanic music, and then they show the court. Oh, God, that's pretty fun as well. Um, n- yeah, lots of lot, nice little touches. A lot touches. of great stuff. Yeah. Let's, any, any other thoughts on The Good Wife, or shall we move on to the newsroom? Oh, God, we're running so long, and we need to talk about the newsroom being good. Yeah. What? Okay, I have to add some caveats to this, though, because I, I wasn't as, like, some people thought this was amazing. I thought it was just good. Uh, the scenes with, uh, as much as I actually thought Kat Dennings was really fun casting for that part, uh, and will probably will continue to be, uh, she gives good bitchery. Um, the, the, I don't care about billionaires squ- squabbling over a media empire that we know is destined to crumble because the show is ending in, like, four episodes, uh, that that's not no that doesn't work for me. It's it's diverting, but it's not particularly interesting to me. Uh, everything else in the episode was good, though. Well, I'm just glad to see Kat Dennings get something to do. You know, it's like <laughs> that isn't two broke girls. That isn't two broke girls. You know, and it's sort of I mean, I, Christmas Eve is great on Mindy Project. Whenever I watch it, he's always wonderful. And the show that he's one of the few uh, character actors or characters that the show consistently u- uses very, very well. Uh, however, it's still great to see him be be, be used so entertainingly and, and effectively on the newsroom. Uh, so, so you know, that was a fun little bit of sitcom spotting for me during that scene. The the way that it ends with uh, um, with Leona coming in, I don't know, that was a bit. I, I, we'll see what happens with that. I'm sort of on the fence about that, but uh, the rest of it really I, was effective for me. Uh, I feel like I I, t- I messaged you while I was watching this. Uh, I think that the, the scenes about the whistle blowing, the pros and cons of following the story and all of that, uh, felt even handed. I didn't expect that. I should have, I guess. The West Wing was even handed all the time, but, you know, I didn't expect it here. I mean, it did feel a little bit labored to me, the even-handedness. Like, like we, yes, we get scenes at the, at the, uh, 
we get scenes with, with Emily Mortimer and her FBI contact at the gun at the uh, at the gun range to balance out, you know, um, to balance out Dev Patel ranting and raving Edward Snowden style. Like it felt very schematic, but like I'll give him points for trying. Even just the back and forth between uh, Will and Mac was effective for me, and uh, I like you know they did it. This episode does a good job of building to its climax. That you know the burning the Neil Run thing menu was very effective. I like although a little bit silly if you really thought about it. Yeah, but I mean, still it worked for me. The the way that they paced it out, the you know the editing and the the cinematography and all that stuff worked for me uh the the stuff we got with uh with maggie um, and i'm sorry he's just still toby from the office to me on the train uh that i mean jimmy simpson is great i'm looking forward to him popping back up but the just toby continuing to interrupt and just not understanding that she's not going to screw him over uh was just delightful really enjoyed that also waffles also well uh, yeah i'll get to that in a second but the whole notion of jimmy simpson joining the show as like a straight man love interest is just so weird and delightful yeah uh that's that is some inspired casting right there if that's where they're going with it which it seems like they are so that's awesome but yeah don and sloan are just off in their own corner doing the screwball thing totally unconnected to everything else and that's kind of how i would like them to keep it having any character feel strongly about breakfast foods is a way to get me to enjoy them basically, and looking over in the parks and rec for, for prime example. Uh, but the, 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 that, that scene, you know, the way it all comes together to at the end of the episode or with their, their back and forth, the, the, I love you. And the, all of that was just delightful. And I, I would really much rather be watching the Don and Sloan show though. Maybe too much focus would kill them too. I don't know, but they're, they continue to be great. I'm hoping that, I mean, I don't know. Can Olivia Munn be this good in something else or is she, she, she just like perfectly suited to Sorkin? I don't know. And I mean, no one would have really guessed that combo in advance. So who can really say, but I, I will say that watching those scenes makes you realize, hey, remember all that time we spent on Don and Maggie? Doesn't that seem especially stupid now? <laughs> yeah. Well, what did you think about them uh, firing Grace Gummer's character? I mean, I liked the way that they handled it. I didn't like the end of the like the glance that Jim gives Maggie as she walks in. I was like, ah, oh, god damn it, not this roller coaster again. Uh, I didn't. I didn't. I don't know if I even noticed that. And now, if if they're actually going to make that a thing, please don't make it a thing. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I Grace Gummer is fantastic. It would have been nice to have to let her character be uh competent at her job for a while before just immediately falling flat on her face. She was there for like sixteen days or something. Uh, so that was kind of unfortunate. But the way that they, that it actually um was depicted was 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 uh was solid, except for the fact. And since someone pointed it out, I can't not notice it. The tweet she's meant to have tweeted was not tweetable. It was like too long. It was the length of at least two tweets. <laughs> Come on, Sorkin. That's yeah. just basic fact checking. Yeah. Yep. Touche. Well, do you have any other thoughts about this episode? Any? Um, I, I'm I'm not hearing good things about episode three. I'll just throw out there. But uh, so I don't know if this will be a flash in the pan or maybe three will wobble and then we'll get back. We were never going to get two good newsrooms in a row. It was never going to happen. Fair enough. Any other, any other thoughts in the episode, or if not, what wins your week in drama? Uh, well, I'm still going to give it to the Good Wife. Uh, as much as you know, tip of the hat to the newsroom for not sucking shit through a straw. 
Uh, how very descriptive of you. Uh, I, I'm going to give it to The Good Wife as well because uh, my my little fangirl's shipper heart did go mega squee. Uh, but also just because it just was so much fun. When Alicia walks in in that red dress and just is like, boom. It was delightful. Oh, I completely forgot one more thing I have to mention about The Good Wife. This The show has never mentioned it. It will never mention it. It will go totally unacknowledged the whole time for a variety of reasons. But can we just say how cool it is? That Matthew Good is twelve years younger than Juliana Margulies is, and they don't care. The show doesn't care. It's Nobody not... gives a shit. It doesn't matter. Yep. Fantastic. Pretty great. Okay, well, uh, that wraps up our week in TV. A few show notes here. You can find a uh, post for this episode up at soundonsite.org, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. And uh, the, again, as I mentioned earlier, the the shows I need to catch up with before the end of the year you can also email us the televerse at gmail.com you can also find us on facebook and like us to follow the the podcast or leave us a comment or send us a, a message there you can also find us on itunes where we have an m4a chaptered feed and an mp3 unchaptered feed we would very much appreciate any ratings or reviews it does help the show it helps other people find us and uh we we like to think we put out a good podcast, so we would uh, like other people to hear about us. You could also, you know, share us on social media and all that stuff as well. Every we always appreciate when when people do that. Um, what else? You can also find us on Twitter. I am at the Televerse, and Simon, you are at Sucker Howl. And what is our question of the week? Oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. Okay, to celebrate. Uh, I mean, you're a, the supernatural thing was a big deal to you, and we've just spent this. In to- most of the last 20 minutes talking about Finn and Alicia you can ship anyone two characters I don't care what show they're from or if they're from the sh- same show you can even ship a triumvirate or a foursome I don't care they don't all have to be human but you can only pick one set who's it gonna be one ship currently one ship. on TV or of all time I would say currently, but it can be between any show. Like, you could choose someone from The Good Wife and someone from Kingdom if you really felt like it. I'm going to have to think about this. My instinct yeah, is to is the Alicia Finn stuff because it's been done so well, but I, I, I reserve judgment on this. I want to see what our listeners have to say because I am certain there are going to be some really fun answers. It is uh, going to get freaky up there. I hope it does. Be creative, people. Come up with uh, what do we not realize we need in our lives. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our DVD shelf this week. Again, as we said earlier, we're talking with Ryan McGee of Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, Not Ready for Primetime Podcast, and so many other places about the the ridiculous year it has been for freshman comedies. Uh, so many great shows to talk about. So we'll be right back with that after this. Last Sunday, one of the weirdest annual events on television took place yet again. Get ready for the lip gloss, the spray tans, the blood, sweat, and sequins. I'm pumped up. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2015 Miss America semi-finalist. Beautiful. Beautiful. And just a reminder to those of you at home, it is the year 2014, and I am a fully clothed man standing in front of a line of women in swimsuits awaiting judgment. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. Last Sunday was the Miss America pageant, and through it all, the swimsuits, the dance numbers, the inexplicable ventriloquism, it was, it was very difficult not to think, how the f*** is this still happening? Beauty pageants haven't really made sense since an era when people talked like this. 
Girls, girls, girls. Everyone lovely and talented. One from nearly every state in the Union, including Alaska. Oh, including Alaska, yes! And you know why they mention that? Because Alaska had only just become a state back then. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kolsick, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we're doing something a little different, uh, though we've done a few of these recently, so maybe it's not quite so different. Uh, 2014 has been a really strong year for television with the holidays coming that has uh, started, prompted some, you know, best of the year thinking, which is going to be a beast this this December. But that led Simon and I to thinking about the ridiculous number of really great comedies and freshman comedies that have been happening this year. So uh, we thought it'd be great to t- take a look at some of these shows. A lot of them we haven't really gotten a chance to, to dive into. Uh, so so we thought, uh, you know, n- now's a good time to start looking back at uh, what's been a really great year in freshman comedies. And I'm very glad to say that joining us this week to, to kind of look at some of these is is Ryan McGee. He's a, a freelance critic for HitFix and your screen crush now, of course, Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan, the Not Ready for Primetime podcast. You've got so much that you're doing, Ryan, and it's fabulous. So I'm glad that you were able to carve out some time to come on back. Uh, welcome back. Thank you. I always love coming on here to talk some more TV. Looking at 2014 freshman comedies, because a lot of comedy, I mean, we talk about all the time on the podcast, comedy pilots are notoriously difficult, and they're usually all bad. And often it takes any show a good number of episodes to really find its feet and and find its its voice. That can be more true of comedies uh, than than other shows. I mean, just look at, you know, the easy example is the first season of of Parks and Rec. But this year, there have been so many comedies comedies that just kind of came out really you know fighting right right out the bat and uh just some of the some of them not all of them but some of them here uh, looking enlisted broad city rick and morty silicon valley you're the worst and married review playing house on tbs bojack horseman on uh was that, i think that's it's amazon or netflix I, netflix netflix last week tonight of course with john oliver transparent on amazon uh garfunkel and oats and then i mean this fall we've had jane the virgin we've had uh we've had blackish we've had over the garden well there have been a lot of really strong freshman comedies do you see any trends in this like why do you think this is just such a great year for comedies ryan what's different about these shows well one of the things if you look at the uh the listing that you just read off that that very impressive list here is that how few actual network comedies are on that particular list. So I think what you're seeing primarily is that the, the, the diversification of television, the diversification in terms of the types of networks that are putting on uh, original programming, the types of venues, whether they be a cable, a pay cable, a uh, an Amazon, Netflix, Hulu uh, type of um, venue, um, they're all trying to get into original programming. And the cheapest, let's be honest here, this is an economics thing as much as anything else, though it benefits us as the viewer, it's cheaper to do sort of a small comedy, try to do 22 to 25 minutes amount of content, generally a smaller scope. You're not going to have too many special effects, not a lot of aliens landing in the middle of uh, your, your, your comedy, so that could be part of it there. And just they're taking chances on the types of voices that uh, normally networks will shun away from. Those They want the four-quadrant entertainments, and that's fine. They're looking for a modern family type show. And if you're looking at something like, you know, uh, you're the worst or transparent, uh, Bojack's, Bojack Horseman, maybe it would fit on the, uh, Sunday night Fox, probably would be part of the animation domination, 
uh, block there. And so I think just the, the sheer amount of content that needs to be filled has let those types of alternate voices in. And as such, a lot of those things you're saying are really specific viewpoints from very specific writers that are getting to tell the stories in the way that they want to do. And audiences are finding these, not always in huge numbers, but they are finding them. And those audiences love what they see. These audiences for these shows are very, very loyal. And it's largely part because we, there's more content than ever, more voices than ever. And we're getting these types of things that we can fall in love with that feel like they have a real point of view and a perspective. Well, I think the other, I mean, you pointed out the, the niche nichification of television that's really benefiting some of these uh, some of these uh, comedies just like you're saying they can be so specific and I also I think the other really key thing here is Jane the Virgin it just got uh, picked up recently for a full 22 so we'll see how that's able to sustain its very distinct voice in over 22 episodes and last week tonight did 24 episodes but the rest of these are are 13 episode seasons, 10 episode seasons. And I think that's a big part of it as well. When you, with comedies, a lot of the time you end up with a, a very much a repetition where you, a, there's a certain level of reset at the end of every episode or at the start of the, of the next episode. And uh, you're less likely to get tired of uh, a comedy's beats that it, you know, it's preferred beats in 10 episodes as opposed to, to 22. So maybe that's some of it as well. I would say also, you know, in the case of a show like You're the Worst, it's so radically different from the network uh, comedy model, especially in terms of structure. You know, you're not dealing with, I mean, yes, it, it presumably they went through a fairly traditional pilot process, shot a pilot, got renewed, got got picked up, did a full season. But it's not the sort of haphazard, uh, let's do a pilot, second episode is the pilot again. Uh, next few episodes, kind of still f- finding our feet, but not quite figuring it out. You know, if a show's like You're the Worst and um, also Transparent, although Transparent is really only nominally a comedy, although it is funny. Another thing that's going on in this list is shows that are comfortable with long stretches of not being funny and still being compelling. But anyway, um, You're the Worst is a good example of a show that uses its season as uh, as a three-act structure as opposed to just a, a you know yes it, yes it is also a pile of episodes with a lot of funny beats in them but it's also it's making a point of telling a story in the medium it's it's not just about serialization it's about pace and it's about you know character character development and things like that that a lot of these shows are too busy uh, especially the network shows where, where so much flailing happened this year with the new uh, with the new network comedies and Kate you saw more of them than I did so you'll know this but uh, it just seemed like a lot of these shows had a much surer sense of their identity and what they wanted to do with these freshman seasons than the network comedies did. You can definitely point right to review for that as well, or transparent or, uh, or even like enlisted the arc that we, we see Pete go through there. It's a very serialized show, lots of wacky hijinks, but the, the, it's not a coincidence that every, what, three or four episodes, we got a really more character focused, look at, at how Pete was progressing over the course of the season. I completely agree. Even though Enlisted aired so radically out of order that anyone trying to make sense of a <laughs> serialization would have been baffled. It was that show went through the TARDIS and back. Let me just say, I mean, in terms of that poor show, if you actually look at the actual uh, episode or in the way it was meant to be aired, I think there wasn't a whole lot of serialization with that, but I think things definitely did progress. And there are little bits that would make more sense if you did actually watch those and there, but I think you're right. I mean, Simon, you're talking about that, the progression of that. People 
there's something to be said about the reset button as a comfort and familiarity, and that's always going to be part and parcel of the television uh, landscape. But it doesn't have to be. I think enlisted on a, on a smaller network might have actually succeeded a lot more with most of the terms of the numbers, but also the um, the approach, that comedy approach that they had was very unique and very specific. Um, slightly dark, off the wall. I mean, it's it's one of my saddest, you know, <laughs> only a couple of, of cancellations over the last couple of years have really hurt. I'd say that Enlisted, Enlightened, and Terriers are my three that just, like, still stick in my craw. Um, just because I just feel like it's not even necessarily a personal affront. I mean, I, I can get over that, but I just feel like people aren't going to get to see more of this show, and I feel like that's a loss in and of itself. But we're we're in a very interesting time right now, television-wise, where what do numbers mean? What do ratings mean? What's a core audience? What's a business model for any of this sort of stuff? And five years from now, we're going to seem antiquated. You're listening back to the podcast like this and talk about you know ratings or how many, what the demo had to be, what the audience had to be, what the me- the metrics had to be for a uh, delivery system to actually keep any of these shows kind of going. I mean, Broad City, I don't think is lighting the world on fire. I know that like almost next to no one watched Looking, but HBO will pick that up because it's it, it can because it's got Game of Thrones money up the wazoo and can afford to throw, you know, basically what Looking was what four hours roughly of content, eight episodes mm-hmm. I believe is what it was. Um, there are these low stakes type of things. Benched on USA is is a is a low risk proposition uh, for them to do. I'm sure they pay much more money in Modern Family reruns they do for original content on Benched. All this sort of stuff. I just feel like with comedy, you can get away with more of this type of stuff. Whereas niche dramas, I'm just not sure, both in terms of the time investment and the economic investment, uh, is going to make sense for all these networks. So, look, that's why I love a network like IFC, which doesn't have any of the shows on this particular list, but a Portlandia, a comedy bang bang, that type of thing. That's an easier thing to build up than, say, the Sundance model. That just feels like a harder. I, I like both. I love having both in my TV diet. But I think comedies are really where you're going to see a lot more chances uh, being taken, uh, both from a writer's perspective, but also from a network perspective, whatever a network eventually looks like in the few years to come. Well, of course, Garfunkel and Oates is on IFC. And uh, so there's that one oh, yeah, at least. There we go. But yeah, but I, I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we talk about. Um, and I know that Ryan, you and, and Mo Ryan talk about this on Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan. When you have a 22 to 25 minute episode, at least as a viewer, I'm way more likely to stick with a show that's a 20 minute commitment uh, that is still finding its feet than I am an hour long. And that's just as a viewer. I can't imagine being on the production side or at the network. Is this show working? How much is it costing? What, what are we willing to give, you know, to, to stick with or give another season to, or, you know, and I, I think another trend in this is because so many of these are cable networks. These are also, these are shows that, Got renewed, got got just picked up for a set number. It wasn't like we had to be able to extend by nine if we get it back nine. It was they were able to be conceived as as a as a whole as a distinct set, and so therefore, you know, you're not getting that same. We better repeat the pilot three times uh, in case we get new viewers. These are shows, like you said, Ryan, far less concerned about numbers than maybe what is required um, just by the realities of the networks. Yeah, I completely agree. And so I think this is where the, the future of this is going to be. Like you're going to have a couple of Titanic procedurals and then a lot of really weird comedies. And how, do the, how does an ABC or a CBS adapt to that? I don't know because right now Fox essentially has uh, Gordon Ramsay shows 
and the dying Titanic that's American Idol and Bones. Because mm-hmm. Bones, I tweeted this earlier, Bones is going to survive the nuclear holocaust. Bones, <laughs> we're all going to be wiped off the face of the earth, but David Boreanaz is still going to have a job. Uh, and he's still going to pull in the same amount uh, week to week, no matter what time slot Fox puts them in. But besides that, how do you get that sort of, you know, that nicheification? Because, again, the Mindy Project, New Girl, shows like that, they're getting, they're, they have those niche numbers there, but they just have slightly bigger niches than everybody else. Those aren't runaway hits. Maybe in its first season, New Girl for a while had something like 10 million viewers, I believe, early on. And they took it off the air for a couple of months for football and for um, for baseball and just Fox ended up killing that sort of thing. But I'm not necessarily sure we're ever going to get back to the phase where you get something like Grace Under Fire, which is a fairly decent but not all nothing that would you write home about sitcom in the mid-90s was pulling in you know, 18, 19 million people. And that's just, you know, that's only 15 years, 15, 20 years ago. We're just not there anymore. And I think that, you know, how you uh, commodify and monetize uh, niche markets is the most fascinating thing we're going to see in the next couple of years. I really want to see what happens with this community thing on Yahoo. I am not the biggest community fan in the world, but I love the idea of this experiment. I wish Enlisted had gone this route. It almost did. Um, how do you – I just want to get the content. I don't care how I get it. And you know, eventually the egos of the actors and those involved are probably going to come down to the fact where it's just about, you know, when Cougar Town went from ABC to TBS, it was the best thing in the world for that show. An almost canceled show is going to you know, wrap up season six largely under its own terms. That, to me, is a success story, and they figured out a way to make that work financially, even though the numbers for that show keep dropping. And so there are ways to do it. I mean, look at something like uh, Hannibal. Which is again super funny because we're talking about it. Uh, but how do you, how do you get international rights? How do you, people are smart about this. People want to make television. The people who make television want to actually make good television. If it's, you know, they want to make profitable television, but a lot of them want to get in this just to like make the underlying. Everyone wants to put their stamp on either an Emmy worthy or a critical buzz thing. I mean, look at how many advertisements CW is doing for Jane the Virgin. They can't believe how much people like that show. They are flabbergasted by this. It's the kind of attention the network just never gets. And it does matter to some extent. So everybody wants that type of prestige type show, and they're willing to pay for it up to a certain point. And what that certain point is, is a malleable thing, and it's changing almost weekly at this point. And so, but luckily we still get all these great shows that are on your list, Kate. And so we're, we still, as viewers, are, are benefiting tremendously in this environment, even though it's tough for the shows themselves. It's one of those things that does keep changing. And because we are in a, like, sort of a state of flux right now, Ryan, like you're saying, I get so puzzled by the shows that get picked up and the shows that don't. So the, the news recently that, that review apparently just barely got picked up. Uh, and it's such a great show. It got so much praise. I don't, that's another one. I don't know that Comedy Central was expecting it to get as much. Uh, to become such a critical darling as it has, you know, did over the yep. over the course of the summer, um, but to think of a show like that that it can't be expensive at all, just barely got picked up. I mean, I'm glad it did, but how long do you? I mean, how long can it take for for the networks and the cable channels to figure out what their bottom line is? Because did I guess Broad City got higher numbers than Review, but that one got picked up pretty quickly, whereas Review was, you know, like we said, it just barely got by. I think my podcast got higher reviews, uh, viewers than uh, review, and it's an audio format. So, <laughs> so that way, but you know, review was in the can for like eight months before it even aired. So you're absolutely right. I mean, Comedy Central had no idea 
what it what, what it had on its on its plate. It knew that it had something interesting. I just don't think they thought any Andy D- Alien D- Daly's sensibilities are so strange. I mean, he's a special effect unto himself, and that character he created, Forrest, is such a Titanic type figure. But and he worked for my sensibilities fantastically well. But you're right. At some point, a lot of this just comes down to, unfortunately, not the whim of some guy in an office somewhere, but it, essentially, sometimes it comes down to that. Uh, and Enlisted didn't come back because then President Kevin Riley didn't want it back. And it was kind of as simple as that. And now he's head of TBS and TNT. But if he hadn't, you know, he had left earlier, maybe Enlisted would still be around. Sometimes it just comes down to that. Other times, the uh, like a show where we were not talking about in this list, because I don't think it was all that great, Mulaney, those numbers you can't spin any way, shape, or form. And maybe well, it is more face-saving than anything else. And like Mulaney versus Review is a really interesting study in comparison because as I understand it, the head of Comedy Central has been angling to get Andy Daly a show for a very long time, uh, like lo- even longer ago than, than it's been in the can. And then he found the original Australian review, which I would love to check out before the year's over. Um, and then, you know, they paired it up. They, they found the ideal combination of performer and material, and then they were patient and they found what they thought would be the right time. Maybe it wasn't. And that's what they, that's what they did with Mulaney. Uh, Mulaney seems like sort of the ultimate example of, uh, network clusterfuckery in terms of like, we want to do a show with you or Lauren Michaels really wants to do a show with you, show with you as it, ha- or however it works. Uh, and come hell or high water, we're going to make this happen now, finally. And we don't, it's not necessarily about whether the show works or not. We're just going to make it happen. Yeah, and look what happened. <laughs> <laughs> look what Mulaney happened. <laughs> I, it, and it's, it's so sad. I'm actually going to see John Mulaney live in a few weeks, and I'm looking forward to it tremendously. And I love all He's the stand-up. He's really funny. He's so it, funny. It is, you know, it, and I, the thing about Mulaney is that sometimes this stuff does not work. And I think it's even more reason for celebrating the things that do. Because, God, it's almost amazing at any time that anything does actually work. I think most of that in a recent podcast on me, and I completely agree with it. And we had these, like, a list of, like, 15 miracles on this list. And it's fantastic. And, I, and it's so much more fun to talk about that stuff. I mean, yeah, I have I, said my piece about Mulaney, and I don't want to kick a dead horse. I think the guy's going to have a really successful career, and he's still super funny, and he can do – he's funnier in his sleep than I'll ever be in my entire life. So he did a bad show. So what? It's, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but – I'd rather focus on something like last week tonight, which is just something that I did not know I needed to actually have added. I thought it was just, it was, it was, a, it was a redundant piece of comedy. And what John Oliver and his writing staff did with that was, you know, stealth education and t- telling stories that I did not even know about that I didn't know I needed to hear about and that were alternatively hysterical and shocking sort of all at once and not just because they involved Sam and Cannons. <laughs> <laughs> it would often involve, you know, whatever it, it, stuff that just, you know, the whole, what I love about John Oliver so much is that his outsider perspective, he's speaking as an American, even though he's a Brit and everything he says about America is so much like we, we should be great. I'm on board with you guys being great. And yet, and that subtle shift, it makes all the difference in the world because it's so much about the sort of, you know, America's collective, you know, presence in the collective world population, which we so easily forget. And John Oliver is perfectly primed with his show to remind us and to reflect and to reinforce. And that's just, you know, that in good way for my appointment Sunday night television. I am sorry, Walking Dead. You're pushed off the calendar for those two. <laughs> well, and one of the things that I think that last week, tonight, 
ending its season really highlights for me is as disappointed as I am that it's not just like daily show style always on, you know, with a week off every month or so. Um, they need time. The writers like that show requires so much research and uh, in so much uh, just just legwork. The writers need time to recover and to come up with new ideas for another season. It really, I, I would not have guessed. I was looking forward to it, especially after John Oliver did such a great job, uh, you know, standing in for John Stewart on The Daily Show. But I, I had no idea, uh, no expectation that the show would sort of uh, make Daily Show just kind of look bad, look, you know, look schlocky and like, are they really going to do another segment just making fun of the same, you know, three talking heads they always do? But it really did. It makes well, the Daily Show look limited. You're right. I think the it has a few major advantages. I think the fact that it happens weekly gives them, like you said, way more time for research and legwork and to really craft a, a story for, you know, especially in, in, in his like main monologue, which usually runs like 10 to 15 minutes. Uh, no, no celebrity interviews. Yeah. Is a huge, huge advantage. No one likes the the celebrity interviews on The Daily Show. I don't know anyone who likes them, uh, and yet they still happen. And sometimes, you know, the the interview, the more sort of politically based interviews can be interesting. And the fact, and especially like the 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 whole idea of hosting longer interviews on the site, you know, that's that's an interesting model. But uh, ditching the interview format is a is a huge boon to to John Oliver's show. Uh, I'm not American. Uh, I'm I'm Canadian, as people who listen to the show will probably know. So it it has sort of more of a popcorn value to me in that, like, I, the outrage is fun, but I don't feel it. <laughs> so it, I, I sort of get another layer of enjoyment from it because uh, every time I watch it, I just think, good luck, USA. But uh, it's undeniable that I don't know if he's necessarily making Jon Stewart's show look bad. I mean, every once in a while, I'll, I'll watch Daily Show again, and I think their correspondents are doing amazing work. But uh, definitely, he he took something that I don't think anyone thought would be essential and made it. Absolutely. Like, to, to me, like, Monday morning appointment television is the clips that HBO puts on YouTube. Yeah, Monday morning uh, YouTube with, uh, or, or share YouTube sharing of Last Week Tonight, I feel like that's the new, oh my god, did you see this amazing SNL sketch last night? Which which will never, like, I know, maybe you'll disagree, Ryan, because you cover SNL way more frequently, much, much more closely than I do, but that is not a phenomenon that is that exists in the real world. Well, it no, does, no. but to a lesser extent, I feel like it's still that's still very much a thing. SNL, I think, is still very vital, but uh, I, I, th I really feel like th this has supplanted it. What do you think, Ryan? Well, SNL, in terms of they've figured out post uh, Lazy Sunday that people actually want to digest these things online and the getting themselves ahead of that, and so you you put it on Hulu, you embed it with ads, and SNL can make themselves as you know those clips are available within minutes not hours of the show actually airing. They have that thing down to a science because, and I've seen this, so I write for HitFix and I have my recap and I just go live blog it and I go sketch by sketch. But then all the parts of the site, they just have entire posts dedicated to the embed clips. And that's just the business model that they've worked out there. But lots of sites do this thing where like, rather than saying, here are all the sketches, that you know, sites realize the value in having, all right, let's just have a post dedicated to the cold open, then to the monologue, then to this, to this, to this, to this, to this. So SNL is making itself available to be discussed, and it's a symbiotic relationship in that way because they're easily digestible, and also as fans you can kind of pick and choose. And it's 
totally separate from the type of thing I do, and I don't have any problem with both those things simultaneously coexisting. Rock on, that's great. SNL, I do try to pick when I'm when I'm reviewing the show which one's going to go viral the most. So like the Jim Carrey Sierra, Sierra, Sierra one, that was pretty easy to predict. That was going to kind of blow up. Um, and just trying to see where they're going to go with that particular model. So they, there are two things here. There is SNL as it airs, and there's SNL the way a lot of people watch it, which is in this discrete forms, and they just hear which of the best sketches are, and they watch them that particular way. But John Oliver, this is the depth of it. The fact that these, these things, as you, as you said, Simon, can go 10, 12, 14 minutes, and the, the pacing that John Oliver does at his best, what last week tonight does, where they build and they build and they build, and and just the ways that he can sort of layer anger and he can like onto these things and he can kind of do callbacks and just it's a really deft piece of writing. It's almost as if, you know, you were a speechwriter for the president or something or for a politician. The way those things are crafted and constructed are when they work, they just build upon themselves and, and they transcend into something else completely different and I do like Colbert Report, I do, which is ending. I do like Daily Show, but I just don't think you can quite get at that. Specifically because while those shows are really into how the media covers events, last week tonight seems to be about the stuff that we're not covering but should be paying attention to, really. And mm-hmm. that's where last week tonight really draws a lot of its power. Not how it covers people covering Ferguson, but talking about you know uh, for-profit colleges. Something I've seen those commercials a million times. I never thought how insidious they were, how bad lotteries are, uh, the way that you know uh, income uh, divisions are, per- are perpetuated, and those who are on the wrong side of it actually buy into it more than those who are on the one percent, not the ninety-nine percent. That's the kind of value that Oliver has. The fact that he can make me laugh while he's doing it is like his 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 best weapon because I keep laughing until all of a sudden the audience and myself are really quiet and go, "Oh, I see what you're talking about." And there's total value in that. There's always going to be a part. And SNL has largely seeded that. So in that respect, last week, tonight, could not be more relevant than SNL. SNL has essentially abandoned topicality on anything but the most surface level. To me, I think that's to its detriment. But I also think about the show way more than most people, including, it seems, a lot of people who work on the show itself. So that is what it is. Uh, People want to see Stefan. And that's fine. Uh, but I, I miss some of the biting stuff that I remember even growing up. That was like, you know, really part of the show's DNA. And for whatever reason now in its 40th season has all but been abandoned. I think it also suffers. I I don't want to get too off track, but I think it's also suffering from the fact that another show already has cornered the market on uh, impressions of your sitting president. And that's Key and Peele. <laughs> well, the shows like Key and Peele and Inside Amy Schumer show how much SNL is doing wrong. And to their credit... SNL this year figured out that maybe it, they should have a cast that slightly reflects the audience uh, watching it. And so it's got much more of a balanced nuance. Now, it, yes, it'll never be Key and Peele, but just Key and Peele and Inside Amy Schumer, those types of shows have perspectives. And that's, I think that's the best thing you can say about so many of these shows here is that you cannot say these shows do not have a perspective. These mm-hmm. shows are laser-like, and the best shows tell very broad truths for, through very specific stories whether it be review in the way that you can be obsessed with your work, whether it be sort of married in the way that people are sort of quiet tragedies that people suffer through and the ways that you kind of have to laugh your way through it. Uh, Enlisted is a story about, you know, it's a workplace comedy about how you find brotherhood and sisterhood in the most unlikely of places. Um, 
Transparence about tolerance. I mean, these are all shows that have something to say, even if they are about very specific families and situations that, you know, I know nothing about the military. You know, I know nothing about, you know, what it's like to have a transgendered person come out in my family. I don't have, you know, this perspective of people living in San Francisco and predominantly gay communities, but I identify so, so completely with the characters on those shows that I feel welcome to experience, uh, you know, narratives and stories that I realize are a lot closer to my experience that I would have expected before I went into these worlds. I do want to mention quickly, uh, because I should have mentioned it earlier. I, I'm not trying to slam the daily show when I compare it to last week tonight. What I think, uh, cause I do very much enjoy it when I tune in, same thing with Colbert. And, uh, but I wouldn't have thought that I would have thought that the daily show and Colbert had what they did, this notion of like the fake news or news blended with comedy and satire down to a science and that it couldn't be elevated. Like that was how you do it. And then last week tonight show me that, no, there is another level. And that's what this show is doing. It's a different kind of thing it's doing. And of course it's weekly, not every day. So it's a very different beast, but, but yeah, the, the, the the topics that it's interested in are completely different than what we tend to see on these other shows. And that's something that I tied to all of these. It's like you're saying, Ryan, I guess maybe Silicon Valley is, is doesn't quite fit with this, but pretty much every other show that we've mentioned that is a freshman comedy this year has a distinct uh, voice that is not has not been represented very much whether it's just the the fact that enlisted is a show about the military that to my knowledge at least actually looks like the military in its in its makeup or you know like we've talked about looking we've talked about i mean garfunkel and oats and playing house being these shows about a female friendship a strong female friendship that is not necessarily defined in one way or another that doesn't have the characters just randomly squabbling because it's time for them to argue, uh, but really can just be about this really strong bond and, you know, what ties these people together. I, these are shows that I was not seeing enough of in previous years. So with the nichification of, of TV, it allows you to get these very specific underrepresented voices to come through. And I think that's a big part of this year in comedy. Well, I don't think it's a, coincidence that out of all the network freshman comedies the only one that everyone can seem to agree is actually good and seems to have gotten a bit of a following is blackish which feels like which feels more like it's a show about a point of view than a show about a concept yeah i love blackish <laughs> i i liked it from the very first episode i thought it, it felt fresh and something to say i love the way that the show plays with narrative constructs um, and it's something to do with Jane the Virgin as well, where there's a lot of metatextual stuff that's going on in terms of the editing, in terms of the, uh, the dream sequences, even just like the typography of, of those, of those shows and the ways in which, you know, they have a, a particular point of view they, they want to get across. Blackish has just figured out a way to do it within a very broad, uh, spectrum, even while telling specific stories. It kind of nailed both sides of that. And I think that's just to its, ABC finally found a show to put on after Modern Family. It seemed it should have been like a slam dunk across the board, and lots of shows have tried. I mean, they had mixology there a few months ago, which seems batshit. <laughs> yeah, don't remind me. <laughs> it, that was the thing that existed. But um, but even a show that a lot of people like, like Happy Endings, just didn't really pair in well at that point. Happy Endings is another show that really has no had no place being a, a network type show. Um, it had, didn't have a network sensibility, and 
I didn't lodge, lock into that. A lot of people did, but not enough for the, the for the network model. Again, like enlisted, maybe in a different world, that's on a different network and that's running forever. And Casey Wilson isn't on Marry Me right now, so or is um, Eliza Coop on Benched? I like having them both on my television, but you know, a lot of people would rather have them in those particular type of shows. Before we run out of time, I wanted to give you guys a chance. What are, of of these shows? Are, I'm curious what for you are the most uh, underappreciated. Of these, of these list of shows that so have such a tiny viewership to begin with, which are the ones that you feel are the most essential for people to either catch up with or watch right now? And, uh, and which are the ones that you are most looking forward to a season two of? Ryan? Um, I'd say you're the worst. You're the worst might be my favorite show of the year. I haven't decided yet. That's a show that took me completely by surprise. That is, that's the example of it. That, I got a pilot of that and I went, nope. And I put it away. Uh, and I loved Married, the Married pilot, actually. I'm, I'm in the minority on that. And then I just kind of kept hearing that You're the Worst was getting really good. And I had it. So I watched a couple more episodes. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And by episode four, I'm like, this actually might be really good. And by episode six, I'm like, this is my favorite show. And just the, 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 the layers, the expectations that it kept batting away and saying, no, you think it's about this, but it's actually about this. That's 10 episodes. It's getting a second season. It's kind of miraculous that it did. Uh, I think people would be very pleasantly surprised by that. And um, the other one I would say on this list is, I'd say enlisted, but listen's already canceled, so we're kind of on the on the fence. On it. <laughs> that ship's kind of already sailed. Uh, Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin's probably my favorite new show of the fall. Really whip smart, really funny, really frothy, amazing lead performance in Gina Rodriguez, but the entire ensemble is great and is a lot smarter than it has to be, which sounds like I'm damning it with faint praise, but... There's some really snappy plotting on top of the really good character work that I think if you just get past the premise and watch five minutes, you'll be either in or out. And I think most people will be in. I haven't heard of anybody who watched that show and say, this isn't for me. It's just about getting more eyeballs in that show. So those would be the two out of this list. Yeah, the the, the thing with Jane the Virgin is if you... It's not enough to describe it. You, 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 need, you're right, you need to get the eyeballs on it because you can't... It's like, it's like a telenovela, but it's on the CW... And there is narration, like everything about it sounds horrible, honestly. Um, but then you actually watch it and you realize all those great things that it's you like, just said. It's, are it's, like try, it's like trying to say like a Mitch Hedberg joke. If Mitch Hedberg isn't saying the joke, it's not exactly. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's a very good. <laughs> it's a very good way to draw it. Sorry to cut you off there, Simon. No, that's all right. Um, I I would add to that list. Those those are all true. Um, although I know that you're the worst isn't for everyone, but uh, not in the same way Jane the Virgin is. I don't think. But uh, definitely recommended viewing. I I think everyone should watch review. I'm honestly a little bit worried about its second season for some reason. Um, maybe because uh, the first season was it, it it told such a complete story that had such a well defined ending that I'm curious how they're gonna do it again and not mess it up. I was like off my couch and cheering for that ending. I that was, was an amazing. That was an amazing I, finale. It, it, that's the definition of the catharsis, right there. I think you're absolutely right. But on the other hand, Andy Daly can do no wrong in my mind. So yeah, but I, share I, your, I share your reservations about that. I know what you mean. I would mention that I think BoJack Horseman did some really interesting stuff with its first season. Uh, Kate, I know you and I were talking about this earlier. I think it. I think it works more. It almost works more as a drama or a dramedy than a comedy, which is weird because it's animated. And as far as I can think, there's never really been an animated dramedy. Maybe I'm forget unless you count like Moral Oral, maybe. But 
it's kind of a it's very rare rarefied company to be in so i'm 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 going to be watching that one closely because i think it could do some really interesting stuff in the future and it's got a following and and again a very specific voice it's dealing with you know very well-worn archetypes but i think by the end of that season they find some interesting new beats to do with that uh, along with silly animal jokes so i'm totally for that um transparent obviously is amazing and i think uh should have a, a, another another show with a very specific sensibility that doesn't feel a need to be funny all the time. Uh, yeah, I think those. I think I can keep it there. I think Rick and Morty could do some could do some amazing things as well. I think it had two or three really great episodes in its first season and some other stuff that didn't work so well. But I think if they can get into a groove for an entire season, I think that would be one to reckon with. Yeah, the thing with BoJack Horseman for me is is that yeah, you know, I really wish I'd been able to watch that in a vacuum. Uh, I, I only just caught up for it for this, and I it definitely was overhyped for me because I was hearing, oh, just wait, it gets so it's it's so hilarious, it's great, the second to last episode or the la-, you know by the way it comes up together in the end, it's just hilarious. And for me, I don't think I maybe I laughed once when I watched it because for me it wasn't funny, but that didn't mean that it wasn't interesting and well done. It's not as far as I'm concerned, it's not a comedy. It's a it's a drama or maybe a dramedy that's a half hour long and is about a horse who is an actor in Hollywood and talks and has human hands. You know, like it's it's a very bizarre, like you're saying, Simon, thing to sort of describe or, you know, to compare to other shows. But it's not when you see, oh, it's a cartoon about a horse who's a jerk actor. You're like, oh, it's going to be a laugh riot. But that's not what the show's trying to be. Um, and so I think I would have benefited when I was watching it if I had, you know, if I hadn't heard all of these things. Oh, it's so great! It's so hilarious. Yeah. Because for me, it wasn't. Um, but the on this list, I mean, this is a bunch. These are a lot of shows that I really like. You, all the ones that you guys have highlighted, I would, you know, I'd co-sign on. The the one that was the biggest surprise to me recently is uh, playing house. Because again, that's another one that I had missed and I caught up on for this. And, uh, I know that there are some champions for that show over the summer. I did hear a few different people, uh, talking about it, but I think that shows, I I was laughing out loud by the second episode. I think it's hilarious. And I think it's, it's got a really great cast. It's wonderful to see Keegan-Michael Keyes, for example, uh, in, in a supporting role, just a regular, you know, series regular kind of role um and zach woods and so many other such it has such a great cast but really i that's the one that i don't understand why more people aren't talking about or you know that there wasn't a bigger fuss made about it because i really think it is that good i think it's just as good as as these other shows um on the on this list i think it's you know certainly at the average if not above average for this list and i don't know why it it hasn't caught on it hasn't gotten the review kind of critic love that that's that some of these shows did um the one that i think i'm actually most interested or excited about season two it's probably well honestly it's probably you know last week tonight transparent jane the jane the virgin but the one that i think could make a really big leap in season two is actually looking because i think if they if they crystallize what worked and what they what they started to bring together by the end of that season uh and back away from some of the you know really annoying Patrick elements that didn't work that detracted from it I think that could really make a leap in its second season um 
So I, I'm looking for I'm looking forward to seeing what that one does when it comes back in January. Um, the other one like that I would say for me is uh, uh, Silicon Valley, which had so much stuff that worked in, in its first season, but I think uh, could again if they find the right blend could make a, another significant leap for me in season two. I think it's it's also it's very easy for me to imagine Broad City making the leap into outright social phenomenon next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the half hour format is doesn't have the rarefied air of the of the hour long format. I think it gives it a lot more pliability and also a lot more chance for uh, risk taking. I think that's what a lot of these shows sort of do. They when they're, the expectations lowered isn't the right way, way to say it. But I think what, anything can happen in these. And I think that the rules for these types of shows are so malleable, and that's why they're so successful and why the format, the half-hour format, is what's so exciting. And we even talked about some of the, the other shows these, uh, that are not on the, the new freshman list, but you know, a show like Girls or a show like Weeds that started a lot of this phenomenon, for better or for worse. You look at those, and they just they get, these shows constantly look at the format like, what can we do with this? You know, what can we fit into this half hour without thinking about the structures of an hour long or what people perceive an hour long to be? It's just so exciting. And if I ever hear a show a half hour versus an hour, I inevitably get more excited. And mm-hmm. I, 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 my mind expands as to what this can be and allows me to sort of accept the show for what it is. And I think we're just going to see a lot more of these types of shows coming forward and broad cities the show i'm probably gonna have to start watching after this podcast so thank you for that excellent <laughs> i would i would just i would add to that and say i that what i'm going to be looking for next year is going to be the trend with web series and the way that if you watch it like uh i don't know if either of you have seen any of high maintenance but uh that's um uh, anyway comedy web series from made by some very well-connected people and that's a show that its initial episodes were five minutes long now the episodes run about 15 Soon, they could oscillate between 9 minutes, 15 minutes, 4 minutes, 30 minutes. They can do whatever they want with that because there's, you know, it, it's an absolutely open horizon. And I'm going to be very curious to see what happens uh, with web content next year. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like the Adventure Time type thing over Adult Swim. Like, what's Adult Swim going to do with this type of format? They just have these 5-minute, 6-minute episodes sometimes, and they slam two things together. I remember Phineas and Ferb used to be like two half-episodes slung together. I love all that format. Once you strip away from having to have certain beats and certain time slots to fill, really the the you ex, you get exponentially more interesting types of ways to tell stories, and not just in too many cooks. Which yeah, say, they can air eleven minutes at four in the morning and destroy the internet. There you go, and it doesn't even involve Kim Kardashian's ass. No. Wow. Heaven forbid. Uh, yeah, and we, we were big fans of the 10-minute comedy here on the Televerse. I, I've, I'm only part of the way through uh, Over the Garden Wall, but I already love it. And that's another 10-minute long show, 11-minute long show. So if a half-hour shows don't get respect, then 10-minute shows certainly don't get anywhere near the respect that uh, that some of them deserve. Um, so I, I would hope that we'll get in the, in the coming years more attention paid to a show like Adventure Time, to a show like Over the Garden Wall, or some or these other you know variable length or shorter length shows. I mean, we have. Newsreaders. Newsreaders, uh, Ch- Children's Hospital. I mean, NTSF SDSUV was one of the funniest shows for me last year. And I can't I don't believe think you just I've... said that off the top of your head. That's amazing. Oh, NTSF <laughs> colon SD colon SUV colon colon, if I'm going to be correct. But <laughs> uh, but that's one that I, like, besides Simon, I don't think I've ever 
talk to a person in person who talk to somebody in person who's actually uh, heard of it, let alone watched it. So, you know, it, th- there is an- another market, even more niche maybe than these half hour comedies that I hope starts getting more attention. Kate, my last thing I want to ask, so if I say, can you say the full version of the UK version of the name? Ah, uh, no, I can't. And I feel like a bad, uh, I feel like a bad uh, viewer. I know there, there's the UK in there. Uh, and isn't it DDB for Double Decker Bus or something? Yes. Uh, how does it, what's the first, is it NTSF UK DDB? Uh, no, but, it, it's, but, it's, no, not but it's not San Francisco. Yeah. yeah I don't know. Yeah. It's Well, we may never know. We'll have to look it up. I do remember Filthy Sexy Teens, though. Cause that oh, was, yeah. That was fabulous as well. <laughs> Big fan for that one. Uh, did, are, have you seen any of these, Ryan? <laughs> I, 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 I take a bunch of drugs. I don't know what just happened here. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly I just started saying uh, letters, you know, just, just, just sure. acronyms. But um, on that on that note, uh, yes. <laughs> taking a bunch of drugs and saying acronyms, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Ryan. Uh, where can our listeners find Where can they find you? There's so many places. Where can't where, they find where you? Where can't they find you? Throw online? a dart on the internet. You can find me. You can follow me on Twitter at TVMcGee. Uh, as you mentioned at the top of the podcast, I write about Saturday Night Live uh, for HitFix.com. I write two articles a week for Screen Crush. I host the uh, the Not Ready for Primetime podcast with Mike Ryan from Screen Crush and the Talking TV with Ryan and Ryan uh, podcast with Mo Ryan. And coming back in January, uh, season six of the Hollerback podcast, a justified podcast I do with Vandy Fair's Joanna Robinson. And I didn't mention that none of this is my day job. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Good times. The, Good times. The illustrious and lucrative world of podcasting, yes. Uh, well, again, thank you so much for coming on, Ryan. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. I still say, if not in that scene, I'm still disappointed there were no actual man tears in that episode. <laughs> that just seems like... That would have been too much. It would have been over... Oh, would... come on. You got the scene with them at the car. It yeah, would they not always... have been too much. It would have been too much. Because they're commenting on the single man tear, so you can't see the single man tear. Yeah, but they were also commenting on the... Anyway. We'll talk about it. Okay. <clears throat> All right.